We'll be reading, uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 and following. We're going to hear a beautiful story uh, about Jesus and the way Jesus lived his life amongst people and in community. Zach's going to read it for us this morning. Uh, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Zach. Have you ever felt um, an outcast in your environment? Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Have people ever treated you in a way in, in which you just felt subhuman? not on par with the world around you. We've, we've all felt those things. We know what it's like to be marginalized on the outside of the in circle. Um, on some, some level, we've all experienced um, uh, being on the outside, not the cream of the crop, not the favorite, the outsiders, the marginalized people. I remember... Um, and you know what? Once we feel marginalized, I think it affects the way we perceive the world around us. I remember some time ago, I was on my way to a Bible study at a coffee shop, and um, there was a homeless man walking up from the train tracks. And uh, and the Spirit just laid on me that, that I needed to stop and, and talk with this man. And so I pulled over in a parking lot near him, and I got out of the car. And as he approached, I said, it's a cold morning. I'm, I'm heading to have coffee, and I'd love to buy you some breakfast and and share and and have a cup of coffee with you this morning. And uh, the look of fear on his face just amazed me. I mean, he was afraid of this, and he backed away and he walked as far around as he could and went on his way. He could hardly walk. He didn't have clothes to stay warm. He'd just spent a night down by the train tracks. You see, being marginalized, being on the outside of society, on the outside of the norms, it affects the way we perceive the world around us. It affects our ability to receive hospitality and to receive love. It changes the way we live. 
And today, the story that Zach read for us and that we're going to engage this morning is about a marginalized woman who overcame her fear of societal norms and the fear of how people would treat her, and she just wept at the feet of Jesus. And the story of how Jesus responds when the marginalized come to him. Let's pray over God's word as we engage it this morning. Father, I just pray your blessings that you will speak uh, this morning. Father, that you will use me um, as a tool in your hands. Father, that you will speak powerfully this morning. Father, I pray that you will prepare my ears to hear your message and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The story began, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. A, A hospitable invitation. Uh, an invitation to have dinner with Jesus. And it's hard to know exactly why this Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. Uh, in general, the Pharisees were quite against what Jesus doing, what was doing. The Pharisees, they were the religious and the governmental uh, rulers of the Israelite people. And, and, and they were awaiting a Messiah because Israel was under the rule of Rome. Israel was not its own nation, and they were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for a king to come and rule again in Israel. And when Jesus came, he was the surprising, the shocking, the unexpected Messiah. And so people like the Pharisees, they railed against Jesus. In fact, in the long run, they would rile up the crowds and have Jesus crucified because he was not what they expected a savior to be, a Messiah to be. But in this story, a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home, and that could have been with good intention. A few Pharisees believed in Jesus. Some came to believe in him. Um, Or, like so many of them, it may have been to trap Jesus in his words, to find more fuel for their argument against this Jesus who was a teacher and a rabbi in the first century. For whatever reason, he extends hospitality to Jesus. He invites Jesus to come and to eat in his home. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to, to wet his feet with her tears. This woman, we don't know a lot of details about her, and, and yet she's said to be a, a sinful woman, likely a prostitute. Certainly the Pharisees' response to her and the way she interacts with Jesus confirmed that they thought very little of her. Um, so a prostitute has now entered this Pharisee's house in the gathering. She's standing behind Jesus, and likely she has no place at that table. She certainly wasn't invited. And so here she is, a marginalized person societally, standing outside the circle, away from the table, behind Jesus. And and she stood behind him crying, just just weeping in, in the presence of Jesus. And I can only imagine the fear she's experiencing as she knows she does not belong in this place, as she knows that she is not welcome in this home, she will not receive the food and she will not receive a warm welcome, and she stands outside the circle weeping. And she gets down um, to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. And her tears flood his feet, and... um, 
And uh, she, she hasn't come prepared. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't have a towel. She wasn't ready to wash his feet. And yet in the moment, all she knew to do was use what she had, her tears, to wash the feet of Jesus. And she lets down her, her hair, and the Pharisees and the people in the room are outraged. Incredibly sexual connotations in the first century as we read the story as she lets her hair down. And she uses her hair to dry his feet. And she has this perfume, likely um, a tool of her trade as a prostitute, that, that she anoints Jesus with. Everything in the story has sexual overtones. It's so inappropriate, and she so does not belong in this space. And the Pharisees... Uh, puffing up their chest and so proud of how good they are in comparison to Jesus or this woman. They say, man, if he were truly a prophet, this is what they were looking for when they invited him. If he were truly a prophet, he would know who this woman is, and he would shut this down really quickly. But Jesus, I'm always amazed uh, at how Jesus interacts and how he loves and the kind of community he creates and invites people to. Well, Jesus knows their thoughts, and rather than asking a question or arguing, Jesus says, hey, hey, Simon, I need to tell you something. He speaks to the thoughts that Simon is, is having in that moment, and, and Simon, with a smirk on his face, he says, yeah, go for it, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is in the wrong here from Simon's perspective. He's like, you tell me anything you want. You, you don't have a leg to stand on in this discussion. And Jesus, um, he, he tells them a story. Two people owed someone. One owed a lot of money and one owed just a little bit. And the man forgave both the debts. And he asked Simon, now, who's going who's gonna to love that lender more for having for, forgiven their debts? And, and Simon answers properly. Well, it's, it's the one who owed a lot more. He was forgiven a lot more. He'll be a lot more appreciative and, and he'll love that lender a lot more. And Jesus engages the cultural norms that have been broken in this place. You see, uh, Jesus saves this um, all till later in the conversation. I don't know if he knew what was going to play out or, or if he was waiting for the right moment. But certainly, as, as he explains, this woman, she'll be forgiven a lot. She'll love deeply. He says, Simon, now you, uh, you perceive yourself to have been forgiven very little. And therefore, you're not a very loving person, right? That's what Jesus is getting at here. He says, let me, let me explain what your lack of love has looked like in this invitation to hospitality, in this invitation to eat around your table. You see, because in the first century, when you entered a home, you've been walking on dusty roads and sandals, and the first thing you would do for a guest is either have a servant wash their feet or give them water that they could wash their own feet. And so Jesus at this point, as he's describing the difference between a Pharisee and a sinful woman, he says, when I walked into your home, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. Jesus, I mean, it was intentional disrespect as, this, as Jesus walked into the home and he wasn't greeted warmly, but instead he just had to walk past the entrance where he should have washed his feet. And he's now reclining at a table, uh, dirty and, and uh, unclean in this place because the Pharisees, they invited him over, but it was not for hospitable reasons. 
And he says, and when I entered, you didn't give me a kiss. And, and if you considered yourself equals with a person, you would greet them with a kiss on the cheek in the first century. And, and if they were higher than you, then, then you would kiss their hand, right? That's a sign of respect um, because, because they are a, a, a person I respect deeply, right? You would kiss their hand and the, the woman, she kisses his feet the whole time he's there. I mean, how more humble can her stance be and her appreciation of Jesus, who is so high in her perspective? And he says, and when you entered, you didn't give me oil for my head. None of the cultural standards and expectations were met as Jesus entered the house. He was intentionally disrespected by the Pharisees as he was received in their home. But she, she took the incredibly expensive perfume that she uses for her living and she poured it on me. She anointed me. He says, you see, Simon, you perceive yourself to be really good, and so you don't love very well. But she, she knows who she is. She knows what she needs to be forgiven of. And because of that, she loves deeply. And so as we, as we look at this text and this story... We see a number of beautiful things. We're continuing as, we, as we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke to ask, who is Jesus? Who is this man? And twice in the story it comes up when, when Jesus says, let me tell you something. Simon refers to him as teacher. He gives him that much credibility and, and respect. And then later on, Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the people say exactly what we're asking. They say, who is this? They can even forgive sins, right? This question of who is Jesus? And the Pharisees think very little of him and love very little, but this woman sees something entirely different in the character of Jesus. And so she responds in a place in which she is completely out of context, completely uninvited in as beautiful a way as she knew how in that moment. In Isaiah chapter 40, it's speaking of what is to come. And, and it speaks of the low places being elevated and the high places brought down. And it's, it's speaking of the people in, in the society in which when Jesus comes and under this new reign, when, when Jesus is king, the lowliest people will be raised up and elevated to beautiful positions. And the highest people, they'll be brought down. And in this story... There's, there's not justice, right? It's, it's not right the way Jesus is treated. It's not fair the way it plays out until the end. When Jesus says to a sinful woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. And we see in Jesus this opportunity that the lowly, the marginalized, the outcast be elevated. And Jesus makes very clear that Simon, you who think yourself to be so high, you're not, you're not what you think you are, right? Her many sins have been forgiven on this day. And I begin to ask myself, you know, what, where does this story connect in, in you and, and in my life? What is, what is Jesus inviting us into? And when it's narrative, when it's story, I think it's always so valuable to look at, at the characters in the story. And the characters we see in the story are um, a woman a sinful woman, we see the Pharisees and we see Jesus as the three primary characters. And we begin to ask ourselves, so, so who am I 
in this story. You can ask myself, am I more like this sinful person, just weeping at the feet of Jesus? Or am I living a life of pride thinking that, well, I'm, I'm not all that bad. In fact, I'm pretty good. And have lost my ability to be grateful for what Jesus has done. Am I living like Jesus in this story? As a follower of Jesus, am I becoming more like him, which is always our goal? How am I engaging in the culture around me? When I see a hurting person, do I walk to the other side of the road? Do I snub them? Do I live up to the cultural norms that have, that have made them marginalized? Or do I invite them to the table and elevate them to positions, uh, uh, to beautiful positions, right? And, and so we ask ourselves, who are we most like? Who am I most like in this story? And we ask ourselves as people and then in, in the larger context as a church, who do we want to be? And, and I know the right answer when you're asked a question in a Bible class, what's the, the right answer every single time? It's Jesus, right? And, and, and in this case, that's absolutely true. That is the right answer. As a church, we want to be more conformed to Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. And this is significant as we consider our gatherings here and as we launch our branches here this month, that, that we are people who, like Jesus, elevate lowly people in the world around us who show love and appreciation and grace towards hurting people in our society. And if people that think they're just all that, they can do their thing. But as followers of Jesus, we are invited to bring the poor and the marginalized and the outcast to sit at the table with us and to play powerful and beautiful roles in what's happening. And let me just say that is my prayer for the future of whatever happens here. We're a few months in, and I don't know where it goes. But if we could be people like Jesus who invite the hurting and love on the unlovable, then I absolutely believe we are on track to doing what God has called us to do. And the reality is, is it is much easier to play the role of the Pharisees. As a church and as individuals, it is so much more comfortable and easy to let the marginalized remain marginal and to feel really good about what we're doing and accomplishing because we sent some dollars off to some mission field. But Jesus, he, he engages entirely differently. He allows absolutely inappropriate things to happen at this table. People are asking all sorts of questions of who this guy is, but he doesn't care. Because in Jesus, there is an invitation to radical belonging. In Jesus, there is an invitation to belong in a way like culture says, no way, it's not right, it's inappropriate. But in Jesus, there is an invitation to radical belonging. And I love Jesus for that. I want to be more like Jesus in that. I want to build communities and I want to engage the world in ways that invite hurting people to know the love of Jesus. If there is anywhere that people can know peace and know love and know belonging, It should be the church. That is the example set to us.
Now, now it's easy for us uh, to, to understand ourselves to be good and okay, right? At least I'm not as bad as that next guy. And yet I think it's important that, that rather than be lowered from those high places, that, that we're cognizant enough to realize that I have been forgiven. A little or a lot, it doesn't matter. But that, that in Jesus, we are all on the same playing field. Whether I've been forgiven a little or so much in life, we all come to Jesus realizing that, that I can't do it in and of myself. But Jesus has invited even me to a place of belonging and to a hope that I could never have outside of him. And Jesus has invited the most marginalized and weakest people, completely unable to elevate themselves in this world. He has invited them to sit amongst us, to share a meal at our tables, to know the love and the hope that's found in Jesus. So here's what I want to invite us to. I want to invite us this morning to reevaluate who we are in the eyes of Jesus. Right? In the eyes of, in the in the eyes of Jesus, I want to be that person weeping at his feet and hearing his love and forgiveness elevated by our posture and our love and our humility at the feet of Jesus. So so we reevaluate today, who am I? Man, I'm just in love with Jesus. I am outside of my comfort zones, and I am not living uh, my life based on the cultural norms, but I am just humbled at the feet of Jesus. That's how I want to approach Jesus. And then, and then secondly, we ask ourselves this morning, how do we want to engage the world around us? And I would propose that Jesus sets a beautiful standard and example for us here, um, that, that we engage the world uh, in, with love and an invitation to know hope, to know the forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us. As we, um, as we launch our, our missional communities here, our, our branches here in the next few weeks, uh, the first step we're going to invite uh, us all to participate in is to ask the questions, um, uh, what is God stirring in my heart? Who are people or things in this community uh, in, in which God is inviting me into closer relationship? Okay, so that's, that's the first question we're going to ask as a, as a group. What is our missional context? We know the mission. We don't define our mission. God has defined our mission, and, and that is to the marginalized and to share good news and hope with the world around us. But we do define, so who are the people that God has equipped me to and is inviting me to love and to live with? And then secondly, as a group, we'll begin to ask, who are people of peace in my life? And this is um, from Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out his 72, and, and he says, Go uh, to the towns ahead of me that I'm going to be going to. Look for a person of peace. Stay there with them. Share the good news with them. Partner with them in, in the ministry that Jesus is inviting us to. And so we're going to be asking, who are people of peace in our lives? Who are people in which we see that God is already working, and I'm going to come alongside, and I'm going to, I'm going to dwell with them, and I'm going to share with them good news and hope. And we're going to form our, our communities around that. God has called us to serve and to help in these ways. 
And these are the people that we see God working in. I, I'm not, I can't convert anyone. I can't save anyone. But I can come alongside the Spirit where He is working, and, and, and I can build um, upon the Spirit's power, that the Spirit can, can change lives and the Spirit can work powerfully in those contexts. So I want to invite you, on, on a real practical note, as, as we've heard the story of Jesus a story of radical inclusion and radical acceptance at the feet of Jesus. I want to invite you, if you haven't already begun, to walk with us in this next phase of the journey as we begin to explore our missional communities. Spend some time in prayer today. Make a call to one of us. Talk with us after about how you might be able to be a part of this very beginning phase in which we get to ask beautiful questions. Who are the people amongst us that we need to be serving and loving? And who are people that God is inviting me alongside because God is doing a powerful work in their lives? We're going to pray over this passage. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this time and this day, and we thank you for an opportunity um, to hear your word. And uh, Father, just to let your word speak this morning, uh, just simply to listen uh, to a story of Jesus and to explore who we are in that and uh, what we learn from it and how it propels us to live. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to be those that invite the marginalized to the table, that show love and elevate hurting people around us. Father, I pray that you will help us uh, to be more like Jesus in, in the ways that we love and in the ways that we engage. And, Father, as we move forward um, as individuals and as a church, uh, Father, give us clarity in your vision and your invitation. Uh, Father, give us clarity of where you are at work that we can come alongside what you are doing and be agents of, of your mission. Father, we thank you uh, for this community and this opportunity. And uh, Father, we pray that you will help us to live lives of love and acceptance and invitation. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.